Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Let's get into the word. How do we describe the last few years? How do you describe what we've walked through and here is the state you've walked through, clearly coming out the other side? How do we describe it? Well, maybe the way that I got my license. When I was about 10 years old, I started to prepare for my driving license. As many boys do, you think about this moment, you plan for this moment, you prepare for this moment. I was reading the instruction manual from about 12 years old. I was playing back then Need for Speed. I was ready for this moment to be able to get there and drive. That's all I wanted to do, turn 16 years old and get my driver's license. My, my dad is a police officer. My mum's Chilean. And put them together and that's a cocktail of fear. And it was on uh, August the 6th, 1997. And I was the night before my 16th birthday. And I, uh, I went to my parents and talked about tomorrow going to get my, get my license and take the test. And my mum and dad said, Josh, we're not going to let you get your license tomorrow. You have to wait two more years. Yeah, that's right. Hard life. For two years, for, for, for the last six years I've been thinking, the last four years I've been reading, for the last two years I've been preparing, and now I have to put off getting my license for another two years. Well, as frustrated and disappointed as I was, I had, to, had no choice, I had to wait, so I practiced a little bit more, I prepared now on, by here was Gran Turismo, I'm getting ready to go get my license, and, and, uh, and finally the day comes to, to go and do my test, and my dad's a bit hesitant, and I'm like, come on, it's time, let me go get my license, he's like, alright, you've waited, you're 18, and uh, so I go to take my test, and I passed that test, of course I did, I've been practicing for eight flipping years, and, and then I, and I eventually do my next six months doing learning, doing the, 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 the training, all the rest, I turn 18 and a half, and I go and do the test, and I finally get my P's, so I go to my dad, and we have this yellow Ford station wagon, and I said to my dad, hey dad, hand me the keys to the car, I just want to go for a drive, it's finally my time, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, bird, let me soar, let me fly, let me get out of here, pass the keys to the big banana. We had a big yellow Ford station wagon that we called the big banana. I said, Dad, give me the keys to the big banana. And he's like, oh, Josh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we just wait a little bit longer. And I'm like, Dad, Glenn, Father, hand me the keys. He said, Josh, you can go for one lap around the block. I'm like, I'll take it. I was desperate. Just hand me the keys and let me go for a drive. So we come out the front and my mum's there, she's speaking in tongues or Spanish, we could never tell. And my brothers are like, come on, take it sideways. And my dad's like, don't crash my car. He's like, one lap around the block. I'm like, it'll do. I put my mixtape in. I've been preparing for this moment for years, but grew up in a, in a super Christian home. So on there was Ron Cannoli, Amy Grant, Mariah Carey's Christmas album, and I snuck in Blue by Eiffel 65, if you know, you know. And so I took off and I went around the block, 
There was three, uh, three main intersections on, the, on where I was, around about first intersection, no worries, took off, waited for my green light to go right, turned right, went to the next, next intersection, waited for my green light to turn right, got to the last intersection to get home. It's there, as I waited for my green light to, to turn right, I pulled into the intersection, and all of a sudden, I feel a presence coming in my direction, and I turn to my right, and there is a vehicle coming through the intersection, through a red light and heading in my direction. And I say a vehicle because it wasn't just a car, it was a truck. And in this truck is the oldest man you have ever seen driving a car. I mean this, Methuselah is alive and driving the streets of Adelaide right now. And he went through the intersection and took out the front of my car. So squashed a banana. <laughs> so I reverse my car into the medium strip. I go over to see if he's okay. Of course he's okay. He will live forever. <laughs> and I go back to ring my dad. And I say to my dad, Dad, how are you? <laughs> and dad's like, why are you asking how I am? Can't a son just ask his dad how he's doing? Not today, Josh. Dad, I love you. You were wise to make me wait those extra two years to get my license. Wisdom of Solomon. He's like, Josh, have you been in a car accident? I said, no, Dad. It was a truck. I then drove home and I pulled up. My mum's still speaking in tongues or swearing in Spanish again. My brothers are like, you took it sideways. And, and my dad comes, and I think it's over. I think no longer will I be able to drive, be able to ever get a girlfriend, be able to ever get a wife, like my freedom forever, gone. He says, come on, let's jump in. Let's go get the car fixed. For many of us, the last few years has been like what my first drive was like. We head out into 2020, and we think, oh, it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> Maybe 2021's our year. Let's go. And we pull out into the intersection of life, and there's a truck with a license plate, COVID-19, that comes right through and literally takes out our hopes and our dreams. And maybe while you're here and maybe while you've kept on going and you've kept on turning up and you've kept on rocking up, maybe there's something that that's done to you that I just want to encourage you today, that God just wants to give you joy back. And that what God had planned through all of this has not been delayed for a moment, has not been taken off track, but in fact, God is going to use this to turn things around. It's time to get back behind the wheel. It's time to start driving and believing that God has incredible days ahead for your life and this church if you would just remain. Let's go to a passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it quickly in John 15, where Jesus talks about remaining. He talks about his plan that he has for our life, and we find this here, and we'll start in the first verse. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. But if you remain. Everyone say remain. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to produce lasting fruit. So my Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. 
Jesus comes here and he says, if you would just remain, if you would not run, not quit, not leave, not hide, but if you would just remain on him, if you would just hold into him, that there would be fruit in your life. That if you've been here and you've had fruit in your life, but you've been going through a season of pruning, he says, don't worry, from fruit, you'll get more fruit. He then says, if you just keep remaining in me, you'll get much fruit. And if you just keep holding on again, you'll get lasting fruit. That the plan with God is that you'll never stay where you are, but there is fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and lasting fruit that he has for your life. So if it's been an in-between season, if it's been a desert season, if it's been a dry season, I want to prophesy there's a season of more fruit, much fruit, and lasting fruit that God has for you. But what's the goal here? What's the fruit? Well, it says right there in the middle of this passage, in John chapter 15, verse 11, he talks about the fruit that he wants to give you in your life. He says, I've told you these things so that you may be filled with my Joy, yes, your joy will overflow. The fruit of remaining on the vine, the result of hanging on to Jesus through the pruning, through the in-between, and through the waiting, and through what you can experience if you've walked in here for the first time, and you don't know what's, what you're, what's tangible, you don't know what you're encountering, I want to tell you, you're encountering the joy of the Holy Spirit, and I want to tell you, God wants to fill your cup with joy, more joy, much joy, and lasting joy in Jesus' name. So Father, I pray you come and anoint these words tonight. Speak to every person. Fill us with joy that it may overflow and touch our world, transform our community, that this church will go from strength to strength to strength to strength. I speak fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and lasting fruit in these next days in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So at the start of this passage, what kind of fruit is Jesus using in this illustration? He makes it clear in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true grapevine. Everyone say grape. grape. So what are grapes primarily used for? Well, primarily, grapes would be used for in these days making wine. And this is never seen better than at the beginning of Jesus' ministry at the wedding of Cana. Now, when grapes were made into wine, or we see a picture of wine in, for, the, for the Hebrew people in their typology and in their language, they would always know when they would see wine or read about wine, it was a picture of joy. See, God's plan for the church is that we would be filled with joy. I love that this is a Pentecostal church that understands Acts 13, 52. says they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I believe what fuel is to a car and food is to a body, joy is to a spirit. Let me say it again. What food is to a, what food is to a body... And what fuel is to a car, joy is to a spirit. In 2018, I ran out of fuel nine times. In one year, I ran out of fuel nine times. Because every time I got into my car, I told myself why I didn't have much fuel left, I had just enough to get me to the next destination. But the problem was, nine times in one year, I ran out of fuel. I had to ring a different friend or staff member every single time so they wouldn't know this was a lack of discipline in my life. Josh Long came and helped me one of those times. And I remember one of the times where I ran out of fuel. It was the last one. And after this happening again and again and again, you start to ask yourself some real questions. Now, I didn't want to take the blame. 
So I went out there and I laid my hand on the fuel tank and I cast out Satan. And I felt God speak to me. This is what he said. Josh, you're an idiot. Put some fuel in your car. You see, too many Christians live this life on the fumes of a past season and don't have the joy that's going to get them to the next season and the next destination. And the joy of the Lord is what carries you through the waiting season, through the desert season, and through the in-between season. And it's what we remember here on Resurrection Sunday, that the joy is what what led Jesus to the cross, because He knew there'd be a day where you were sitting here in this room with your life transformed. What takes you through the difficult seasons is joy. See, what started to happen is people eventually found out that I would run out of fuel. And they would get in my car with me, and they would sit down, and they would lean across to check out the fuel gauge. Or if I was driving, and I just started to hit the brake too hard, they'd pull out a jerry can. What happens when you lose your joy is that people don't know if you're going to make it. When you start to lose your joy, when you no longer have the joy of the Holy Spirit, People start to see changes in your life, and we have to wonder if we're going to make it to the next season. You see, Jesus goes to a friend's wedding, at the wedding at Cana, and in John chapter 2, verse 3, they run out of wine. It's a picture of the church. Whenever we see a wedding, a wedding's the picture of the church. He bookends his ministry. Right there at the beginning of his ministry is the wedding at Cana. And what we will celebrate when we go to be with him in heaven is the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's where he gathers his church together. So where he goes to a wedding at Cana, it's a picture of the church that's lost its joy. We should never be a church that loses our joy. I mean, do you remember the joy of your baptism? I love hearing Sandra share tonight about what God did for her life, how she walked in here one day and walked out totally different the next. I'll tell you the thing that it's not your words that always makes a difference. It's not your perfect life that always makes a difference. But what is a witness to the world, the school, the community around you is the joy of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. But the truth is, other things come and they rob our joy. And what happens when you lose your joy is you become an intense Christian. Have you ever met an intense Christian? Have you ever seen an intense Christian in worship like they're so angry at God? Have you ever had an intense person pray for you? I mean, one time, I get these after every service. We've got a couple in our church, super intense prayers. And they spit, and, they, and then they declare. The other day, I took a fake dive just to get out of there. Got concussion, worth it. <laughs> ever had seen someone, inte- I'm joking, ever seen someone intensely witness? No one's following the intense person. What people don't want is an intense Christian. They want a passionate Christian. And the difference between a passionate Christian and an intense Christian is joy. See, a passionate person that loses their joy becomes intense. So what does Jesus do? Is Jesus at this wedding does something that is over the top. 
He does something that is ridiculous. He does something that is too much. He does something that is way more than he should do because this picture of running out of wine at a wedding is actually more than the wedding itself. It's a picture of his church and it's a picture of the body of Christ that loses its joy. You see, this is actually a picture of Calvary. And what he's about to do at this wedding is a picture of what we celebrate this weekend, that what he does is not just simple and what he does is not just enough. What he does is excessive and it's over the top. So he goes to this wedding in John chapter 2 and somewhere after the speeches, they run out of wine. And it says this, and we'll put it on the screen. Verse 6 to 7, nearby stood six, everyone say six, stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. It deliberately gives us the measurement. Jesus said to the servants, read this with me, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw, out, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine and said, I don't understand why the best wine comes at the end. I don't understand why the best wine should be after a pandemic. I don't understand why the best wine should be after your dry season. I don't understand why the best wine should be after that difficulty. Jesus goes and he turns water to wine and it gives us the measurements to show what Jesus is doing. So when you take those gallons of those six stone water jars and you convert them to liters and then you pour that into the average size wine bottle that we have today. Somewhere after the speeches, Jesus made in excess of 800 bottles of wine. Now I'm not here to be an advocate for wine. But have you ever been to a wedding where after the speeches, they bring out 800 bottles of wine? Could you imagine the dancing? Could you imagine the singing? Can you imagine the expressions of, I love you. <laughs> and some of us right now are struggling with this because not my Jesus, he wouldn't do that. Not my Jesus, he wouldn't do something excessive. No, he would do something like this because he is trying to make a point that this is not actually about wine. This is about grace. This is about Calvary, that his love is exceedingly abundantly above, that his, that his joy is unspeakable, that he says to us, do I forgive seven times? No, 70 times seven. Jesus is making a point that his grace is sufficient, that he's saying, when you come to me, keep knocking, seeking and asking until you get an answer. He's not a God that says, I'll just give you enough. He's a God that does more than you've ever seen before, more than you can ask, more than you can think, more than you can imagine, because this is a picture of Calvary. God doesn't want you just to have enough joy to get you through the journey, just enough grace to get you through the journey, just enough forgiveness to get you through the next day. No, He has more than enough grace because of Calvary. He has more than enough love than you can understand. He has more forgiveness than you could ever deserve. You see, what's happening here at Cana is actually a picture of what we celebrate this weekend. Let me show you. Moses was a type of Jesus. He was a deliverer. And the very first miracle or sign that God does through Moses is what? It's to turn water to blood. 
He puts his staff above the Nile and puts it in and suddenly water turns to blood. For the Hebrew people, it's a picture of deliverance. And then what do we see later on? We see Jesus then go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's there under pressure. And what happens when he's there under mental pressure, under emotional pressure, about to come under physical pressure, all of a sudden there appears what appears like sweats of blood. There's blood and water. And then Jesus dies on the cross and while everyone else has their legs broken, they throw a spear into his side and what comes out the side there on the cross there's blood and water and here at Calvary what is Jesus doing at his very first miracle at his very first sign it's not just a wedding in lack it's a sign of his whole mission it's a completion of what Moses began it's water turning to wine that we will see now in the upper room that whenever we see the wine it's a picture of his blood it's water and blood coming together it's God God's saying, this isn't just a wedding, this is my bride, this is my church, and it's not just wine, it's salvation and joy, and I have it in excess for every single person that will receive. See, Jesus is making a point that no one would ever, ever, ever be able to compare to this wedding. I mean, there would be other weddings, but people would say, but do you remember the wedding that Jesus turned up to? I mean, there would be other moments of dancing, but I guarantee there was no dancing like the wedding where Jesus turned up to. I mean, there would be expressions of love, but there was no love shown to one another like the wedding that Jesus turned up to. That's the picture of the church, that when you've had an encounter with Jesus, there's no other relationship that compares. When you've been in his love, there's no other love that can come close to what Jesus has done. What he does is excessive. It's over the top. It's a picture of Calvary. His plan is that you would know joy and joy unspeakable. But what was the servant's responsibility? It was the servant's responsibility to be filled with water and water to the brim. They had to get the vessels. The vessels are always a picture of us. They had to fill the vessels with water to the brim. So if I can, in these last moments, let me show you one story. I'm going to go back to a story of Isaac. We find this in Genesis 26 verse 1. And it says this, that there was a famine in the land a dry season, a desert season, a waiting season, an in-between season. And it shows us in the scriptures just after this that everyone ran, everyone left, everyone retreated, everyone isolated, everyone went back to Egypt. But Isaac stayed in faith. And it says in verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. God's plan is that when you've got water, he gives you a hundredfold wine. Is that when you've had a desert and waiting season, that you've remained, there'll be fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and lasting fruit when you hold on to him. That Isaac stayed in faith. Isaac served in faith. Isaac remained in faith. Isaac sowed in faith. And because of that, this man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Can I tell you? If you're going through difficulty, don't lower your expectations. Just keep holding on to God in faith. Don't leave, don't run, don't hide, don't quit. Stay where you are and sow in faith because there's a harvest coming. Amen? But it goes on in verse 26. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle. The servants that the Philistines, the servants of the Philistines became jealous of him. So catch this. So the Philistines filled up all filled up Isaac's wells with dirt. 
See, what the enemy does is that when you're having an abundant season, a healthy season, a growing season, he'll try and make you dry. He'll try and take away your flow. You see, notice this. The devil can't take away your favor. What Jesus did on the cross was not just take your sin. There was an exchange. He took your sin and you gave, he gave you his favor. See, before he did anything for the Father at his baptism, the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He was already God's favorite. And when he goes to the cross, this exchange happens. He takes your sin and he gives you favor. And the enemy can't take away your favor. It doesn't matter what you've done right or what you've done wrong. The enemy cannot remove your favor. It doesn't matter what circumstances have come your way or what family you grew up in or what you face tomorrow. The enemy cannot take your favor, so he tries to stop your flow. Because if he can't take your favor, he'll try and dry you out. He'll try and rob your source of joy. A couple years ago, just before Christmas, my wife and I went Christmas shopping. And it was a miracle from heaven. We did all of our shopping in one single day. And we came, yeah, wow. And we came home. And we put down the shopping. We went in with our day. And later that night, my job is to take the bins out so I take the bins out, and what my wife often does, Shana, she puts the rubbish on the back of the front door, and I grab that on the way out to the bin, and I throw the rubbish out. Well, the next day, the bins are collected, and my wife now wants to wrap all the presents that we just bought, and she came to me and said, Josh, have you seen the Christmas presents? And I'm like, what did you do with them? And she said, I put them on the back of the front door. I said, Shana, they've gone to Christmas heaven. She's like, what? I said, they went in the bin. Now, I want to ask you a question tonight. Whose fault was that? And because she's not here, and Corey's a mate that won't dob me in, it was her fault. But can I tell you what I had to do the next Saturday? That's right, this guy alone, I had to go and buy every single present again. See, Isaac has his flow and dirt gets put in his wells. And you know what Isaac does? He doesn't complain about it. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't go back to Egypt. What Isaac does is Isaac goes and he digs another well. You see what the enemy does? He tries to frustrate you, limit you, restrict you, and dry you out. And if he can take your, dry, your joy, he thinks he can make you leave, he can make you run, he can make you hide, he can make you quit. But when you realize like Isaac did, the source wasn't the well, it was the reservoir under the ground. You just go and dig another well. It wasn't about the well. It wasn't about the job. It wasn't about the year. It wasn't about the person. It was the flow of living water that's found in Jesus Christ that is abundant, that is excessive. There's a reservoir. It wasn't a restriction on flow. It's just that the waters got a little bit muddy. There was no water restriction for Isaac and there isn't for you. We just need to dig again. And sometimes we get stuck in disappointment and frustration of what's gone on. But God just calls us to go dig another well. Because if you keep on digging, you'll find fresh water. So getting to the end, he moves on in verse 20. And he digs another well. But then it says, shepherds from Gerar came. And they claimed the spring. This is our water, they said. And they argued over it with Isaac's herd, Isaac herdsman. 
So Isaac named the well Esek, which means argument. You know what he does? He moves on and he digs another well. He calls it for what it is. It was an argument. And he moves on and he digs another well. Can I say some of us need to stop over-spiritualizing the seasons that we've gone through? Not everything is a demon. Not everything is a satanic attack. Sometimes we just got to go, it was an argument. It was a frustrating time. It was a pandemic. We just call it for what it is. Get our eyes off the enemy. Get our eyes on God and dig another well because there's a source of living water there. And his name is Jesus. And the keys can come. In verse 21, then Isaac men went and dug another well. But again, there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. I mean, this feels like 2021 to me. There's anti-government versus government. There's vax versus anti-vax. There's wear a mask versus love the mask. And at the end of the day, I will tell you, there's all those things, but the water matters more than the well. The source of living water is more important than the argument. The joy is what's gonna get you to the end of the journey. Do what he did and just go and dig another well. Sometimes you feel like I've got to be justified and I've got to be right. It's not about being right. It's about being in the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's about getting your joy back. So you know what Isaac does? He's like, peace. See you later. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig another well. Devil attack me. I'm going to dig another well. Gone dry lately. I'm going to dig another well. Got a bad doctor's report. I'm going to dig another well. Lost my job. I'm going to dig another well because there's a reservoir of living water that's available for you. So Isaac moves on. Some of you, it's time to move on. It's time to let go. It's time to change, it's time to change your language. It's time to get filled to the brim. So as I finish, verse 22 says, abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named that place Rehoboth, which means open space. At last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in the land. And as I was preparing this, I felt God say to give this word for the church, that the place He's called you to prosper is not where you've been, but it's now in this new place you're in. He's that while there's been frustration, limitation, waiting and hostility, arguments, disappointments and moments of dryness, I wanna tell you that He has put you in a place where now you can have open space is that if we stayed where we were, we'd be dependent on the things of the past. And the things of the past that we have right now is what gave us the supply to get to this point. But I prophesy that God is allowing you to have open space here in Melbourne, open space in Hobart, open space in San Francisco, open space in Paris, open space wherever you sit, you'll set your feet. He's saying it's a new season of living water, of fresh flow. And the things that got you here are not to be discarded, but there's new wells, there's new source. It's the same Jesus, but you need to get digging. You need to get preparing because there's a revival coming, a breakthrough coming, an open space coming for you. It's not God anoint my thing. It's God, I'll shift to wherever, you, wherever your anointing is. I love this as it finishes. That very day, Isaac's servants went and told him about a new well they dug. And I felt God say this, It wasn't just one well, it was now the next generation digging another well. That it wasn't just the same as what they had before, there was a multiplication. 
I prophesy over Numa Church, there is a season of open space and multiplication that will be discovered by this generation and the next generation. There's going to be an ease in this season. There's going to be a breakthrough in this season. There's going to be a flow in this season. Another source, another supply, so their water could be filled to the brim, so Jesus could turn it to wine. Fresh water, new wine all found in Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.